Nobody likes to suffer, right? In fact, just that word itself. I mean, you just hear that word suffer and it just kind of, there's something about that word that makes us draw back. And, um, you know, nobody wants to go through times of pain. And yet there are a lot of different types of pain that, that we endure and experience. Uh, some of you perhaps due to some physical challenges, you may, you may live, or health challenges, you may live with physical pain on a regular basis. And that's hard to do. If you have chronic physical pain and that it's difficult to deal with that on a regular basis. But then there's also the pain that comes from, you know, the emotional pain. That could be something from losing a loved one or a relationship gone south, or it could be dealing with mental health challenges. It could be uh, experiencing some type of disappointment, whatever it may be, that emotional pain that we experience can be just as painful and maybe in some cases even more painful than physical pain. And, and so we, we suffer in a variety of different ways. And sometimes the pain that, that we feel that is associated with suffering can lead to some really poor decisions. And we just don't, don't do things the way we should because of it, because of, of our suffering. And so today I want us to jump into a psalm. We're going to be in Psalm 130 here in a minute, but we're going to jump into a psalm that gives some dignity to our suffering, won't necessarily alleviate the pain that we experience, but will at least give us some perspective and some things that we can do as we go through that. Uh, there's an Austrian philosopher and priest by the name of Ivan Illich, and in an interview he said, you know, there is an American myth that denies suffering in the sense of pain. It acts as if they should not be and hence, it devalues the experience of suffering. But this myth denies our encounter with reality. And more importantly, in my mind, it also denies what Scripture teaches, as we're going to see today. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 130. And one of the things that, that, that I love so much about the Psalms, as we've talked about in the past, is you just get this whole range of you know, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. And, and yet, you know, God is steady through all that. But let's, let's start in verse 1, Psalm 130. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So this, this psalm just kind of jumps in from the very beginning with a plea from, for help that comes from the pit of despair. And it says, out of the depths I cry to you. And I love that because it, it's just so honest. And one of the things that we battle with, I think most of us when we're going through an extremely difficult, painful time, is we want to hide that from others around us, right? We don't want to bring it out into the open. We don't want to acknowledge that we're struggling like we are. And so we try to hide it and deal with it and be tough or whatever it may be. And yet the first thing that I see here, which is really our, our first main idea today of how do we deal with suffering and pain is just bring your pain into the open before God. That's what the psalmist is doing. 
Saying, out of the depths I cried to you for mercy. Not trying to ignore it. And by the way, notice that there is no judgment placed on the person who's suffering here. There's no rebuke for having a lack of faith. There's just an honest acknowledgement that I'm in the depths. And God, I'm crying out to you for mercy. And so that's where we need to start as well. Uh, You know this already if you find yourself in a difficult place. And I'm quite sure uh, that whether it be physical pain, emotional pain, whatever spiritual pain that you're going through, relational pain, whatever it is, I, I know that everybody's dealing with something in some way, right? And so we understand that there are no simple answers. What we need is not some, you know, little trite saying or uh, some, you know, uh, it'll all work out in the end kind of a thing. Uh, What we need is for God to show up in the middle of the struggle. And that's what we see happening here. No no quick cures, but God is, is there in the midst of it. And it's a great reminder that your pain is not pointless. You know, God does allow us to go through seasons where we are in the depths, seasons where we're suffering, going through difficulty. And there's something very significant that comes out of those seasons, as we'll talk about a little bit more. But just a great reminder, it's not pointless when you go through times of difficulty. And so because God is is working through the pain, sometimes he lets us sit in it a little bit longer than we'd like to. God doesn't always just, in fact, I would say most of the time, God does not just step in the minute we begin to hurt and pull us out of that. He has a purpose in that. He is working to develop something in us. And so this, this cry out to God in verse 2 is, let your ears be attentive to my cry for what? For deliverance? It's not what he says here. Now there's nothing wrong with asking God for deliverance. But specifically what he prays for here is, hear my cry for mercy. Yeah, I'm crying out to you knowing that, that you know, God may deliver us from that in that moment or he may not. It, you know, his timing is, is always best. But what we can be absolutely sure of is that when we cry out to God, our loving Heavenly Father, and we're asking for mercy, God will grant that. God will meet us in that place when we ask him for his mercy. Now keep in mind that this entire psalm is a prayer. That, that's the context here. That's, that's all of it. In fact, this is one of what's called the Psalms of Ascents, which were, were sung by pilgrims as they were ascending the hill into Jerusalem. And so several of the, toward the end of the Psalms, you'll see it in your Bible. I'm sure you'll know this as the Psalms of Ascents, and there's, there's quite a few of them. Uh, But they would sing these or pray these to God. Some traditions say that the priests, even on their way up to the temple, as they were climbing the steps up to the temple, that they would sing these psalms. These were prayers that they would call out to God. And in this chapter, one of the things that really just jumps out to me is how many times you see the word Lord repeated. Did you notice that? Over and over and over again in the verses we just read. There are actually two names for God that he alternates back and forth between. One is the name Yahweh, which God gave to Moses. Um, But as you 
may know, the Hebrew people would not even pronounce that name, and so they would substitute another name for that. But the second one is the name Adonai, which means Lord or Master. And so every time here, whether it's Yahweh or Adonai, it's translated as Lord. But the thing that is very clear is that even in this, this wherever this depth was that he's crying out for mercy, he's also acknowledging the lordship of God in his life. In church, that's so important. Even when we're hurting, even when we're in pain, to say, but you're still the Lord. I'm still surrendered to you. I'm still submitted to you. And the greatest model of that is the prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. When he was wrestling with the Father in the garden. And I mean, Jesus was not looking forward to what was in front of him. He was praying so much so that it said that, that he was sweating like drops of blood. And his prayer was, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. But you remember how he ended the prayer, don't you? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's a great prayer. God, I'm asking for you to do this. This is what I'm praying for, but I'm also submitting to your lordship. And I'm saying whatever your will is, that's what I want to submit to. And so you, you begin by just being very honest with God, bringing the, the pain right out into the open. And then in verse 3, this is why we can do this. This is where our confidence comes from, that we can cry out to God for mercy. When it says, if, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Second thing I want to remind you to do, especially when you're struggling, is to rest in God's forgiveness. That's where our comfort comes from. That's where our confidence comes from. You ever offended somebody and you were hesitant to approach that person to ask for forgiveness because you weren't sure how you would be received? And sometimes when, when that happens and uh, you, know, you, you avoid the issue and then that creates emotional distance and then emotional distance often leads to negative assumptions about the person and next thing you know, the relationship has just really been strained significantly. Because we're not dealing with the issues, because we're not confident to come before one another and say, this is what I've done, and I'm sorry, and I'm asking for forgiveness. Um, but with God, it's different. We don't have to worry about, is God going to forgive us? Is he not? How is he going to receive us? Because verse 3 reminds us that if God kept a record of sins, we'd all be up a creek. We, we would be in serious trouble. Every single one of us would be in trouble. Nobody, he said, would be able to stand before God if he kept a record of all of our sins. That's because all of us are sinful. Every last one of us. What we deserve is to be separated from God, which is the consequence. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God. That's what we all deserve. But the gospel message is that even though we deserve separation from God, God has provided forgiveness. In fact, in the, the, um, uh, the message, which is a, a kind of a, a paraphrase of the Bible, it talks here in this passage and it uses this phrase. It says, because forgiveness is your habit. I love that, that reminder. That's what God does. Now, this, of course, was pre-Jesus, right? This is before the cross, 
And still, even in the Psalms, it talks about how God is a God of forgiveness. We see this all throughout the Bible. Going back to even the Garden of Eden in Genesis, when the very first sin was committed, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they ate of the forbidden fruit. Yes, there was a consequence to that sin, and there was separation between them and God. They were put out of the garden. But even in that moment, we see God's grace because it says that he clothed them with the skins of an animal. They realized that they were naked, they were ashamed. God clothed them. He had to shed blood in order to do that. It was the first time that, that God began to shed, set up the system where shed blood would cover the sins of people. And then you see all throughout the Old Testament this whole system of sacrifices where animals would be slaughtered so that sins could be forgiven. It's the shedding of blood that covers sin. And of course, ultimately, the final shedding of blood was Jesus. It was God himself in human flesh who took our sins upon himself, who gave himself as that final ultimate sacrifice for us. And Christ died in our place so that we could be forgiven. And that's why we can have confidence in approaching God. Because we know that Jesus has already taken the full brunt of the wrath of God on our behalf. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. The full wrath of God, every last bit of it was placed upon Jesus on the cross. He bore that for us. So that if we put our trust in Him, then we can be forgiven. That's the offer that God gives to us. And I just want to ask you a simple question. Have you received that gift of forgiveness? Has there been a time in your life where you said, yes, I'm putting my trust in Jesus because I know I'm sinful. I know that I deserve the wrath of God because I rebelled against him. But Jesus took that for me and, and I'm putting my trust in him. It says that once we do that, once we receive forgiveness into verse 4, it says, so that we can with reverence serve you. We've been saved to serve. God forgives us. He saves us spiritually so that we, in turn, can serve him with reverence, it says. Meaning that out of a sense of, of humility and back to that word Lord again, that we are recognizing his lordship in our lives. And so we're going to serve him in everything that we possibly can do. But if we're being honest, it's really hard to serve God when you're still in the depths, right? And he was at this point. Remember, he's crying out for mercy. He's celebrating the fact that he's been forgiven, even though he's still in the depths. He knows that God has forgiven him. But he's saying, but, but we serve you. And how could we do anything else when God has rescued us? It's the only appropriate response. But the truth is, it's hard to serve God and serve others. You know, we serve God primarily by serving others. It's hard to do that when you're focused on your own pain, isn't it? When you're in the depth, it's really difficult to serve other people. But let me gently remind you, number one, that it says that's what we were saved for. But number two, the best way for us to move through our pain is to serve God by serving other people. It helps take our attention and our focus off of our own suffering. In the early stages of our uh, daughter Autumn's cancer diagnosis, um, she was just struggling with a lot of pain. It still does from time to time. Um, but it was really bad early on to the point that, you know, it was difficult just to function. 
get out of bed and just, you know, have a normal day. And I remember having a conversation with her one time, and, and she told me there was one thing that helped her with her pain. It wasn't every pain medicine under the sun that you can imagine. Nothing worked. None of the medication did any good whatsoever. She said the only thing that helped alleviate her pain was when she was babysitting. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I remember one day she was having a rough day. She was scheduled to babysit that night. And I'm thinking to myself, is this a good idea, you know, for you to go and take care? And her response was, that's the only time. My stomach stops hurting, and this is why. She said, when I'm responsible for somebody else's kids, I forget about my own pain. And I thought, man, there's a sermon in that statement. When we take our focus off of ourself and we realize that we're responsible for somebody else, it does, at least to a certain degree, um, Help us to, to not be so focused on the difficulty and the pain that, that we are going through ourselves. And then in verse 5, as you continue on, um, this is the challenge because we want all this to happen immediately. But it says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Anybody else struggle with waiting? <laughs> or am I the only one that, that, you know, when I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And it's hard to wait when you don't want to wait, right? Several years ago, I remember uh, there was a promotion. Baskin Robbins was having a promotion. And us, our family being the expert cheapskates that we are, we decided that we would go to Baskin Robbins for free ice cream. They were giving away free ice cream one night. And so we show up at Baskin Robbins to get our free ice cream one summer evening, and there is a line of probably 50 people outside the door of the place because they're giving away free ice cream. And on top of that, it was raining. I took one look and I said, nope. I am not going to wait in a line in the rain to get free ice cream. So what do we do? We drove a half a mile up the street to Brahms, and for 10 bucks, all four of us paid for and got our ice cream inside with no weight. It was the best $10 I ever spent in my life. I was unwilling to wait that long because free ice cream wasn't that important. But what if that line was a line to get your mortgage paid off? <laughs> yeah, a little different story now, right? I would have camped out in the line. I would have stayed in the line as long as I needed to because the value of what I was receiving would have been worth the wait. What does the psalmist say he's waiting for? A better way to phrase that is, for whom is the psalmist waiting? He says, I wait for the Lord. You know, the reason we don't wait is because we forget the value of what we're waiting on. Third thing I, I want you to see today is that we need to wait for the Lord. Wait with eagerness, with expectation. I mean, the illustration here is a watchman waiting for the morning. You can imagine the watchman whose job is to keep watch until the sun rises. You think about 5 a.m., that that watchman is starting to get a little bit anxious for the sun to come up. It's like, oh my gosh, it's almost here. And that watchman is just waiting for the morning to come so that he can be relieved of his duties. That's the type of 
eagerness and anticipation with which the psalmist says, I'm waiting on God, even though I'm in the depths, I'm waiting for him. The good news is this, while we're waiting, if we will seek God with that type of earnestness, we're going to experience an intimacy with God that you can't find any other way. I know that's been true in your life, that's been true in my life personally, that the most intimate times with God are the times when we're hurting most deeply. And so we wait and we, we just fellowship with God even in the midst of the difficulty. It's almost like the drier we are, you know, the thirstier we are, the more we're prepared to soak in the comfort that God receives. It's kind of like the earth and uh, being like it is right now. When the rain comes, I mean, gosh, y'all, it's, it's not even July yet. The bad news is it's not even July yet. But it's been hot and it's been dry and we're already in drought. And any time any water falls from God, you know, the, 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 the ground just soaks it up right now. It's just going to drink in every last drop. But what happens when the ground is saturated? When it's saturated, it can't take in anymore, right? So it begins to spill off. There's just something about when we are dry and when we're thirsty and when we're in the depths that we are able to soak in the comfort of God in a unique way. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. But as he's doing, here's the catch. How do we do that? I mean, how do we wait on God? How do we receive God's comfort the answer is the second part of verse 5 because it says, In his word I put my hope. See, if we wait focused on ourselves and focused on trying to fix our problem and maybe just consumed by nothing more than being delivered out of, we're not focusing on the deliverer, we're focusing on deliverance, and that's all we can think about, then we're not going to get this. But it says, In your word I put my hope. In other words, we begin to let God's word be the lens through which we interpret everything that we're going through. And we hold on to scripture and that provides our hope. Uh, for example, one of them that I know is one of the most popular ones when going through a difficult season is Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. What a great reminder. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So as we are going through those painful situations, we can have confidence. That's a game changer to me. It doesn't necessarily take away the pain, but to say, okay, I know that God is somehow at work right now in the middle of this because his word says that he is. Because God tells us that he is going to bring good out of a situation like that. That becomes our lens. Guys, I don't know, I'm not sure what I would have done going through what, what we've been through in our own family without having scripture to provide that perspective. And, and that continues to, to be true as I watch others going through difficult seasons. Uh, many of you know Jeff Denton, who's pastor at Waterbrook here in our community, a very good friend of mine. Uh, battling cancer and, and uh, not feeling great right now. And I watched that and, you know, he started feeling bad just a few months after his sister was brutally murdered by her son-in-law. And then he starts feeling ill and is dealing with cancer. And uh, the officer, by the way, that just passed away from Wiley High School was his best friend. And it's just like one thing after another. And I look at that and I'm like, I, I don't understand it. And his wife, Dina, who's amazing, She's just absolutely incredible, too, and, 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 you know, they're at peace. 
And they're trusting God through this. But I look at those kinds of things. I'm like, that doesn't really make sense in my brain. But I know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I watch Jeff and Dina walking with that same mindset of, you know, we're trusting God through this. And we know that God is at work in this situation. And whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we, we look to God's word. That's where we find our hope. And by the way, I hope that you have some scriptures that are meaningful to you that you can look toward and, and, and rest in in your difficult times. I do want to encourage you with this. There's a list. I think there's 11 different ones that I put in our online bulletin. So if you don't utilize that resource, you know, that, that's there and will be there through the middle of next week or so. I would encourage you to, to go to that. But there's just a list of a bunch of scriptures that to me are very encouraging during difficult seasons. And find some of those that are meaningful. Maybe put it up on your mirror or you know, where you're going to see it regularly, but just fill your mind with what God says when you're going through those difficult challenges. And then one last thought as we look at verse 7 and 8 again. It says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. You know, as we are putting our hope in the Lord and as we are trusting in God's word, um, that's what enables us to do this last one, which is put all of your hope in the Lord. Put all your hope in Him. And He gives a couple of really good reasons why we can do that. It says, because with Him is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. That's why we can put our hope in the Lord. And I love this because it reminds me, even though we're waiting, we're, not, we're, we're waiting passionately, not passively. Does that make sense? It's not like we're just sitting there. You know, we're, we're waiting, but we're actively putting our hope in God. We're actively trusting in God and His Word while we're waiting. And so we don't lose hope because we know that God is doing something through all of this. The confidence we have, it says, is in his unfailing love. This isn't a, a hope I will be loved like in middle school where I hope that the prettiest and most popular girls would love me and it never quite worked out that way. You know, that's not that kind of hope. This is a different kind. This is a put our hope as in we are confident in this. We're not hoping God will love us. We hope because God loves us. Because we are absolutely confident that we're loved by God, then we can put our hope in Him. And we see that love displayed over and over in our lives, but ultimately we see it through the cross. We see it through Jesus giving Himself for us because He loves us and He wants us to have forgiveness. And so let me just close with this, this last question, and that is, do you know the love of God in a personal way? Do you know God's love for you? And if no, this would be a great day to say, I'm going to put my hope in him. I'm going to trust in him with all my heart. His love is unfailing. But guys, we have to respond to that. We have to choose to say yes to Jesus in that. And when we do, it says that he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See, God offers redemption. I mean, the primary context here is redemption from our sins. It is forgiveness. It is 
uh, a place in heaven that will be secured for us. It's all those things. But you know, there is a secondary meaning throughout Scripture of God redeeming us as well. And that is that God will bring good, back to Romans 8, 28, but God will redeem the difficult situations and trials that we go through. One other verse for you, Romans 5, 3 and 4. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So let me just remind you, as you go through those challenges, it is not pointless. God is doing a work in your life through the pain, through the challenges that you experience. He's producing that, that ultimately, that hope. But there is a process. Perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. Listen to the way Eugene Peterson put it. It's a great little book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a book about the, the Psalms of Ascents that we've been talking about. He's talking about Psalm 130, and he says, This psalm does not exhort us to put up with suffering. It does not explain it or explain it away. It is rather a powerful demonstration that our place in the depths is not out of bounds from God. We see that whatever or whoever got us in trouble cannot separate us from God, for forgiveness is your habit. We are persuaded that God's way with us is redemption, and that redemption, not the suffering, is ultimate. Guys, hear that last phrase. Redemption, not suffering, is ultimate. We're all going to go through seasons of suffering, but that's not ultimate. What is, is redemption. If you know Christ, your life has been redeemed. You will have an eternity to spend in the presence of God. But you can also know that through those trials and through the pain, God is doing something in your life right now to bring about His purpose in your life. So let's trust Him to do that as we wait, as we put our hope in His Word, as we trust that God is redeeming all of this for His glory and ultimately for our good. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us to trust you as we walk through pain? Lord, as we deal with difficulty? It's not easy, but you're trustworthy. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us faith to be able to trust you in everything that we do. For those that are hurting today, I pray for relief and I pray for comfort. I pray for mercy. Because you meet us in our lowest places. And thank you for that, Lord. Just help us to trust you through them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.